We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Browns fans? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. It's your Tuesday, May 2nd edition. I'm your host, Jake Burns. And we are going to start with an opening for your Cleveland Browns around the big piece of news of the day, which is that the Browns picked up the fifth-year option for Jedrick Wills. Okay, so we've been following these closely because, obviously, this is the deadline coming up on Tuesday. You've heard me talk about it, shows leading up to this one. There are certain guys up for the fifth-year option where they don't have any timing issues. It's, you know, whether there's contract discussions going on, whatever, whatever. Some teams make the decision early. Tua, Joe Burrow, the quarterbacks, Justin Herbert. Recently, Derek Brown, we've heard, has his picked up the defensive tackle in Carolina. Carolina also traded for another player, CJ Henderson, the corner, who was originally drafted by Jacksonville. His was not picked up. Chase Young was not picked up. That was a big piece of news last week. Jeff Okuda lost his fifth-year option ability upon his trade this offseason, so his wasn't picked up. Uh, we do know Tristan Wirfs, obviously, long-term deal. It feels like uh, there could be a long-term deal coming for Andrew Thomas, the other tackle in this class. They have until tomorrow. New York has not notified as of 10.58 tonight whether they're picking that up or not. I think it's a no-brainer. It's, it's just a matter of time. Uh, the Browns waited on this thing as uh, the the situation probably dictated that they wanted to wait just as long as they could in case any weird happenings took place between the end of the regular season and this time, uh, you know, in the offseason just after the draft, they wanted to put pressure on him, kind of make him feel like there was a decision, thought process stuff going on here. They, they wanted to do, I think there's some mental stuff going on. They decided to do this, in my opinion, months ago. They knew what they were going to do. The The number for his Cap number for his fifth-year option in 2024 will be 14.175. And then if you look at his number this year will be 6.269, finishing up his original fourth year of his rookie contract. But again, it's just, this stuff isn't a lock. Like, it's not as – it's uh, this class, and like I said, we're going to talk about this later with our guest, has seen a lot of guys get theirs turned down. We saw today uh, over in uh, Baltimore, they they declined the fifth year option on Patrick Queen. A lot of linebackers, Isaiah Simmons had his decline. Jordan Brooks in uh, out in Seattle had his decline. It seems like the situation is sort of calling for 
the less important positions where the money doesn't make sense to be turned away, while on the other side, some of these guys who may be in the tackle spot where the money can make a little bit more sense. Because, again, if you look at, like, you know, we haven't seen the best of Jedrick Wills. I think that he is disappointed in terms of his development. There's no doubt about that. But this the value of, like, the average left tackle is kind of tricky, right? So if he were to to be let go, if you looked at 2022 tackle salaries at the left tackle position, 14.1 gets you in the range of, like, Taylor Decker with the Lions. Taylor Luan made 14.6 in Tennessee last year. Jake Matthews made 16. So, like, you can see where if you let a player like Jedrick Wills just walk before the fifth year, it gets a little dicey in terms of what, like, that value is going to be for a player to replace him. Like, Jonah Williams is set to make 12.6 this year. Deion Dawkins, 14.8. Colton Miller with the Raiders, 17.6. So you can really tell that that 14 number for what Jedrick is, which is not a refined product, but certainly a player who's good enough to give you average to above average play at left tackle. He can have stretches above and below average, but I think the skill set and what you're hoping to still see develop from him is well worth that figure for one year, right? Like it's well worth that figure for one year. See if he can get better, capitalize on his opportunity. Like the ball is in his court. It's in his court. He he plays well over the next two years. He's getting another deal. There's not a doubt about that. So I just think that the Browns were wise to pick this up the way they did. I think it protects them from having somebody at like the six million number or something crazy low, which again it gets it gets really scary. The the times you dip below the ten million mark, it is not uh, it is not an encouraging number, uh, especially for guys that aren't on like you know the way the cap can be bent for pushing the bonuses forward. Like true guys that are making. Six, seven, eight, nine million. It's not an encouraging group. So they did the right thing here. I know some of you might want him to be better. I certainly want him to be better. The Browns want him to be better. He's going to make really reasonable money for the level of play he's put together this year, especially at six and at 14. We'll see what an extension number would put him at. I don't know what that looks like. As we sit here, it seems like an extension would not happen, but maybe they find some way to make that happen if he plays better in the coming years. It's still teetering, right? Still teetering. We're not saying the Browns are committed to giving him anything long-term, but they certainly understand their their offensive line window for the next two years, and keeping that intact at a reasonable number certainly made a lot of sense. So definitely see where the Browns were coming from. Again, you might not agree with it, but definitely see where they were coming from. The only other news of the day for Brown circles, well, there are two pieces I want to hit on. They signed Joseph Charlton, a punter. Not a big deal. He's been around the NFL for a little bit here. He was signed by the Carolina Panthers as a UDFA in 2020. He appeared in 21 contests with the Panthers, one with the Jaguars since 2020. He spent the 22. He should sound familiar because he spent the 22 offseason in training camp with the Browns. He's out of South Carolina. So he'll be around again to sort of push the punting situation to get the best out of those guys. I like that decision. You need uh, legs at camp to go through, and Charlton will be a given another chance here. And if he outpunts uh, Corey Bajorquez and has a great offseason and preseason and all of that, he'll have a chance to win the job. So don't mind it whatsoever. The only other little piece of news that kind of trickled out today was that the Browns were very interested in the services of DeAndre Swift, who was eventually traded to Philadelphia, but the Browns were in on him from the perspective of trying to work some kind of deal. I don't know what they offered, 
But multiple places, including the Browns' local-owned radio station, confirmed that they were in on pursuing him. Uh, and I don't know, again, what the offer was, whether it was serious, I'm not sure. But it's at least noteworthy that the Browns are obviously chasing some kind of veteran presence at running back to go along with Nick Chubb and then obviously the younger Jerome Ford. Does that mean Kareem Hunt's coming back? I don't know. We'll see where that goes. There's some rumblings about Justin Jackson as a potential guy that the Browns could be interested in a little bit. Uh, there are going to be other names that get thrown out. It's uh, Latavius Murray signed with the Bills. It seems as though uh, the, the the market's going to continue to open up a bit more because after 4 o'clock today, none of the signings impact 2024 compensation pick formulas, which are important as guys – uh, you know, team, sorry, try to regulate how many picks they can get back for certain guys leaving in free agency, so on and so forth. So that's what we know. Otherwise, the only other little piece of information as I continue to try to catch you up on all Browns news, I possibly can. They invited a couple people to rookie minicamp. Uh, the, these are, again, not guys that they signed as UDFAs, but they are guys that they brought uh, with invites into rookie minicamp. Robert Mitchell, who comes uh, out of uh, North Carolina Central, so he will be given, he's an offensive lineman, uh, I think he's more of a guard type, will come in uh, for a Browns invite into rookie minicamp, and then they also invited uh, Baldwin Wallace corner Anthony Kendall, who caught some steam in the pre-draft, uh, an interesting athlete, nice player, they're going to give him a chance, I don't know if he's confirming he's going to the Browns, I know the Jets are also interested, but they extended an invite according to Aaron Wilson on on Twitter today. Uh, to Anthony Kendall. We'll see if they bring him in. But yeah, stuff will be happening soon. Uh, the, the big news about Jed, we've covered. And then, like I said, our guest here, who is Kevin Cole, is is really good at what he does. First of all, I wanted to highlight that. But uh, Kevin does a good job of breaking down why the fifth-year option is sort of changing in the last few years. Well worth your time to listen to this one as far as uh, also his analysis tied to his post-draft rankings and how teams did according to expected value. So he does the Unexpected Points podcast he does the newsletter tied to that. Um, he used to be with PFF as a data scientist, and he just is a, a fun way of looking at football and always like to catch him whenever I can, whether that's after free agency, the draft, or right before the season, which we always try to do. So let's get over to the interview now with Kevin Cole. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Kevin, you know how big a fan I am of your work, man. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. We we, we made it through the draft. We, we we made it through one of my. It's turned into a like not as enjoyable as I if like. Obviously, haven't been doing this stuff forever. I started really doing it in 2018, and I don't know why it's turning into this. Uh, 
it's just not the most enjoyable experience. I think in Brown's corners, what we do is, is try to like predict what Andrew Barry's going to do based on what he has traditionally done. And that leads to this all out race to like find the prospects the Browns are going to draft just so that you can say, I told you so when they drafted them and then they drafted two players that people didn't think they were going to draft, which was kind of ironic, but I saw Mitchell Schwartz today. It said something about the draft is getting to be this, this weird formulaic. I don't, I almost thought that he said it was just getting a little boring and predictable in the way people evaluated it from yeah. the, the perspective of the consensus mocks and all of that. I'm, I guess what I'm asking you here as we start is like, is that a pattern you're realizing too, where it's like, it's either consensus mock value or you, you did terrible or is there enough altering data out there to see beyond just the consensus mock stuff. I don't even know if that's a good question, but I feel like it's just the only way we evaluate these things in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's some truth in what uh, Mitch was saying in that tweet. At the same time, this is probably like harkens back to a lot of the things that people complain about when it comes to, um, and he's talking about things being looked at from more of an analytical perspective. I don't think it's the mainstream like media dominant theme is who traded back and who got consensus big board value. It's more like um, who got value versus my individual uh, evaluations and almost ignoring trading back. But, but I see that there's been complaints in the past, you know, about harping on fourth downs too much, uh, harping on running back second contracts too much. And, you know, those things have shifted quite a bit. The NFL has come around a lot more to what, maybe we nerds were saying so, so we quiet down about that stuff. But when it comes to other things like positional value in the draft, um, we haven't gone quite as far. So uh, my, my, my joking tweet about this the other day was, you know, we'll stop talking about it when NFL teams stop being wrong. Then, then we'll stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Like the justification for taking running backs inside the top 10 or, or how we saw the, the, the jaw dropping one is at pick 12 is that this guy's not just a running back, right? Yeah, There's right. A, a way to sort of, uh, use the football lexicon to come up with a way of like explaining it in a way that if you take a running back, just stand behind it. Like we took it back because we want to run the football. Like they'll say, they say we view him as a chess piece or something. Like, is that, <laughs> is that the same thing you noticed too? I saw you put it. Yeah. Yeah. There was, was a, qu- yeah. Another, qu- another queen that they can use for the Falcons is what I thought was being used. And you know, it's not impossible, right? We're, but we're all just playing the odds sometimes. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, maybe the closest thing that we've seen to someone who really does pose a threat, like actually is lining up on the, in the slot on a lot of third downs, picking up first downs that way. But we hear this so often. I think maybe Travis Etienne was the last guy they mentioned um, when the Jaguars took him. They said they were looking at Kadarius Toney, but then they took him because they thought they could use him in all these special ways. I mean, he's not being used in these special ways other than how a running back is used. And while we may see Bijan, you know, out on the flat every now and again, I just don't think that's the best usage of him to really be out there rather than being in the backfield where he is a running threat on every play. So I think it's more aspirational than anything else. Teams always talk about having two running backs on the field at the same time. And we just don't see that happen very often. Yeah. So you do the analytical draft grades. Talk, talk to us about how you do those because I'm fascinated by the different categories and, and then uh, we'll we'll talk about the Browns individually here in a minute, but I, I like looking at these beyond just a, Oh, I have a hunch that this guy is worth, you know, this or whatever. I like this. It's all subjective. And I feel like it's taking a little bit of the subjectivity out of it, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm trying to look at, like, what do we have research on? What do we have studies on? What do we have evidence in 
being predictive because I mean, that, this is really like explicitly what draft grades are trying to do is just to tell us like, what do we think is going to happen? And if we look at the different aspects of the, of the draft, one I say is trading. I do put that fully into my draft grades. We have a pretty good idea of what sort of value you can expect from a player at a different draft position. And um, for, for my analysis, I translate everything into what I call surplus value. So the, the real value you get from rookies is there's a salary cap. Um, you can only spend so much and you're going to get normally a more valuable player than what their designated contract is. Um, so that's the value that you're going to get. So it's looking at that and saying, you know, subtract the value of the picks you trade away, add the value in of the picks that you're bringing in. How much did you gain there? So that's that's a big factor. Another thing I look at is positional value, and we can see pretty strongly um, by draft position that that surplus value that you're getting really varies a lot based upon position. And there are different kind of sweet spots for some positions and some positions like like running back. There's, you know, maybe less bad spots, I would say, than sweet spots for what you have there. So that's the the second thing. And I, I'm pretty confident in those sorts of things. The last thing, and this may be the most important thing in people's minds, is whether or not teams are reaching on a player or whether they're getting a steal. In other words, whether or not players are being taken far before or after their consensus draft opinion. And I, I look at aggregated consensus big boards to figure this out. And what the data shows us here is that reaches really are a thing. Now, they're not as bad as it may look if a player is taken around earlier than what you think. It's more like his expectation is maybe a quarter to half of a round worse than you would have expected. But if a player is taken a round after where the consensus big board says, so in other words, a steal, there's really no benefit. They perform just in line with their draft expectation. There's there's no such thing really as a steal empirically. And I think there's also a lot of logic behind that. And I can go into that if you want. Yeah, we should, because I think what people have said about the Browns draft here is it's not necessarily one that's being graded out as an a plus but it is getting some high regard from the people who use their pre-draft analysis and and tie it in so you know they the the, at least the narrative that i think gets passed around at this point is well they didn't pick till 74 and they still came out with all of these plus value players right so maybe they didn't um get a steal per se you know you could you could kind of claim that but they certainly didn't it didn't feel like they reached for anybody we'll see if i think the point that you're making there about you know, you're thinking, well, they got Dewan Jones, who was like, you know, inside the top 50 for a lot of people at 111 or uh, the other one that stands out. It seems like Eco was another guy that they thought created some value, uh, according to the consensus and Tillman, too. So I think Whipler may even stand out more than anybody else. But it feels like that's the thought. Most Browns fans want to feel like their team stole some guys from the from the location that they took them. And you're here to say. Hey, shut up a little bit, guys. It doesn't mean that they're going to do great, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to make sure I, I have that in a, in in a, in a perfect way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess I would say it's good not to reach, so that's yes. good. But I mean, let's just look at. I think we could go through an example, and this this kind of goes to the logic aspect again. The the empirical evidence says steals aren't really great, but let's let's also look at the logic. And you mentioned Dewan Jones; he would be the example here because. According to the consensus big board ranks that I pulled down, he was 47th on the consensus big board, bringing all the different positions together in there. And he was drafted at 111. So let me use my data science uh, work here and do some quick math. And I believe that is 
uh, 60 spots, 64 spots after where he was ranked. So that's a lot. That's two rounds worth. So, but you have to say, like, what is the likelihood that, you know, this consensus big board rating is really that much better than what NFL teams are saying, because it's not just one team deciding that they're they're going to reach for a player like you can have if one team happens to have this outlier board and takes a player, you know, a round or two um, earlier than you might think. It's really all these different teams. Now it's, you know, it's 64 different picks that have gone by where a decision maker has decided and the Browns have probably decided multiple times yeah. <laughs> in that way, in some ways that they were not going to take this player. And it's even even if you say, well, they could have been emphasizing different positions. I mean, even by position, if you just go by where he went here, I think he was something like the tackle 13 versus being the tackle six on the consensus big board. So all these different teams are choosing to even take a different tackle. So you have to say, not only is it a smart pick by the Browns, but you have to say it was a dumb play by all of these different teams that ended up passing on him before new Orleans, Kansas city, Green Bay, Jacksonville, all these teams are taking someone, uh, Tampa Bay. So what's the probability that all those teams are wrong? Um, and it just becomes logically less and less that that's the case. Yeah, that's the the mental side of this that's interesting, because when a guy's taken early, you know, Jack Campbell is a good example. Uh, it's like you, you want to think, well, maybe these teams see something that we don't. Right. That's what you want to tell yourselves is. You know, people be out there. Well, you know, what do you know about football? This this GM's been doing it for this long, right? But right. the same thing about the guys who slide down the board is the question you never ask when you're really feeling great about a pick because he was, you know, on somebody's big board ranked number forty eight, and you got him at ninety eight or one eleven. Is that why on earth did he slide down the board? Well, there's probably reasons outside of film, outside of uh, awards and things like that, that. That there's a reason that they fall. And that's probably accounting for why most of these guys who you feel like are steals don't pan out. Is that on the right yeah. path with that? I mean, it just has to be it because otherwise yeah. it's just pure numbers game of talent. These guys would go higher. No, no, that's definitely it. And I also think when we like the biggest difference between information, you know, data, evidence, whatever you want to say people have on the inside of these organizations that we do not have in the public uh, we're talking about medicals. We're talking about interviews. We're talking about references, we're talking about maybe things like the cognitive testing and other things that have gotten to be pretty overhyped probably in this cycle, at least at quarterback. But still, yeah. with all those different things, if you think about like the the distribution of the types of assessments you have on players for that, for medicals, like it's it, there's no real positive upside to medicals. You're checking a box saying you're fit. But there's a massive downside if you if you don't pass the medicals. For references, for the most part, you know, you may become a little bit higher on someone because they really, really, really love football as opposed to just, you know, really love football. But it's it's <laughs> more of a downside tendons. skew. He's got, he's it's more of a downside ligaments. skew there too, that you're getting a bad reference or a bad interview and that drops them down. And that's the information we don't have. So when players fall, yeah. I also think we have to say, you know, it, it might be one of those non-public sort of things that's going to cause a player to fall. Whereas you're not going to have non-public information that really causes a player to rise that much more than what we're seeing on tape. Yeah, that's that's very well said. Good stuff. Um, yeah, f- fill me in then where you have the Browns. If we've talked through all your your angles for how you do this, where do, how did the Browns come out for you? Yeah, so I have it being uh, seventh, actually, in total value added. I mean, there's not much in the trade department. Uh, the Browns and the Ravens, both did not make a single trade until the last trade 
in the seventh round where the Ravens actually traded back in and took one of the Browns seventh round picks and then gave them a, a six rounder in 2024. So there's not much in the trade department, but they do gain a little bit over a million in surplus value there. Um, but I have the positional value gaining about 8 million. And again, this is just looking at how much better the position they're drafting at that is versus average. And that's mostly because of the focus on uh, wide receiver, defensive interior, tackle, edge rusher. All of those were like the third and fourth round picks, the most valuable picks. And, you know, I like the the DTR, the uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson pick in the fifth round, too, from a value perspective. And I kind of like him as a prospect a little bit also as far as giving like some upside with the rushing ability that could probably give you a higher floor there. So they have that. And then I give them about another five million in benefit for essentially not reaching was what we're talking about before. They didn't really have any reaches across there. If they did, it, it was near the end of the draft. And that's a much less impactful when you're reaching there. So you add all that together and it's about 14, 15 million of a gain versus most teams that came out of this draft. And it ranks them seventh overall. And it's, it's probably even more impressive than that. Cause if you think about, like from a denominator, like the the amount of draft capital they had to work with in order to generate those gains was much smaller than a lot of teams. They were a bottom five team as far as how much draft capital they had coming into this. Yeah, that's the encouraging part is they did find a way to A, not reach, and B, at least get some surplus value that we'll see if it actually ends up netting them a prospect that some people slipped on, right? It got through the radar. So uh, there's a lot to dig into there individually when I go through those guys to talk about exactly why they became a steal. I think that that part will be interesting to illustrate. And Cedric Tillman's a great example. And really, uh, Siaki Ika is too, were guys who had better 21s than 22s, right? So that kind of is like a part of it, right? When guys come out, did they have an injury that year? There's just a lot of elements to tie into that conversation. So we'll try to illustrate that better later. Obviously, fantastic stuff from Kevin. He has an article um, that I will link in the description of this podcast to illustrate this for you guys uh, to exactly what he's talking about before we go Kevin one more little point is the fifth year option today the Browns picked up Jedrick Wills I think it'd been decided for a while but the Browns were doing what you should do which is you take it up to the last minute because you never know it's a weekend before and anything could happen on a weekend among many other things and you just there's no point in taking it earlier than you have to take it they do it seems like a class there from 2020 that has been a little bit below the norm I think I saw Several guys, Isaiah Simmons, among others here, sort of late in the day that didn't get picked up, but linebacker group especially, um, you know, not, not boding well for them for that class. I, I think you had pointed out there was a pretty good illustration of why they're not being picked up. Did you want to elaborate on that real quick? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's been a change. So over the – I'm trying to think. I think that the first year was for the 2017 class. I think even with David and Joku might have been part of the first – it was either that one or the next class was the first one where it switched from being – an injury only guaranteed to be a fully guaranteed. So if you're exercising these options, and I guess Browns fans are familiar with this from the from Baker Mayfield, if you're exercising these options a year in advance, this is a guaranteed amount that you're going to use on that fifth year. And if you look at the amounts that you pay, it varies based upon how well the player has done in his career so far and whether he's hit certain metrics. So there's a basic lower amount. There's a higher amount if you've hit a certain play time threshold, um, which is normally like 75% of the games that have been played. There's an even higher amount there if you've made one Pro Bowl, and then there's the highest amount if you've made more than one Pro Bowl over those first four years. So what ends up happening is like the difference between the franchise tag, which you don't have to exercise, obviously, until after their fourth season. You don't have to do it a year in advance. For a player who's played 
poorly or has played, you know, it's only really going to be the, the players who have played poorly that there's going to be a big difference between that fifth year option and the franchise tag. So that's where you're going to get the value. But then those are also the players that you're the less certain about and less certain that you want to take on that full guarantee. So I think it's really just shifted the, the, the value equation here. And as you saw in this draft, I mean, we didn't see a lot of guys, right. Jump up into the end of the first round. We didn't see someone jump up into the end of the first round. Um, we didn't see the Titans do that to go get Will Levis. They went and said, went out and said, you know, we'll go, go ahead and take him in the second round where it's cheaper and you don't get the, the contract cheaper. You don't get the fifth round option. But again, do you want to be paying, you know, a 23 or if they make one Pro Bowl, $29 million on this fifth year option when you, when you can franchise tag him for maybe another $5 million after that and have so much more flexibility. So yeah, the, the shift to fully guarantee is really lessened the value of that. And I think a lot fewer teams are going to look to trade up into the first round in order to get that fifth year option going forward. Absolutely fantastic insight, Kevin. We really, really appreciate your time, man. And I'm sure we'll catch up once the uh, schedule's released and maybe getting closer to the season to give us a feel for how you feel about the collective Browns um, outlook in, in general. We look forward to that, man. Thanks again. All right. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap for today's episode, guys. Thanks for stopping by. Plenty of great draft content going up at the OBR post-draft analysis. Cody Sook did a great job. Jack Duffin's updating 2024 boards already. We're having a lot of fun. Things I think I know about the Cleveland Browns from Brad Ward also posted yesterday. Check all of the written content out, which is, again, some great stuff. And again, a thank you to Kevin Cole for stopping by. Check out the link in the description of this pod for his uh, newsletter piece, uh, written piece of information about uh, we were talking, referencing in that interview where we go through uh, the teams in the NFL and how they did in the draft. So that's uh, available for your consumption as well. So like I always say, thanks for stopping by. Continue to review and rate the podcast if you can. Interesting feedback I always get and listen to in those reviews. I appreciate you taking the time to write those up, good or bad. Uh, always try to do my best with uh, improving as a, a podcast host in an attempt to give you guys the best angle on the Cleveland Browns possible. So thanks for being here. You know I appreciate you. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. Go Browns.